And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Father in heaven, we ask that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit, God cause your word to come alive, illuminate it and reveal Christ to us through your inspired word. Lord, heal us of our blindness, of our deafness. Lord, raise us from dead. Lord, Illuminate our hearts, reveal to us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We ask this for your glory and for our greatest joy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 11. So, Paul writes this to this church in Ephesus. They're under intense persecution. And to assure them that their identity, their place in Christ, the love of God for them has nothing to do with their circumstance. They couldn't judge God's love based on the level of persecution. No more than we can judge God's love based on the level of trial or tribulation or things that we have to walk through in this life. 
when you walk through difficult times, it doesn't mean God loves you less. If you're blessed and wealthy, if you hold that one winning ticket to that $508 million lottery from Friday, that doesn't mean God loves you anymore. In fact, it might be a dangerous thing to hold that much money. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't like to try, but Jesus said, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And so Paul's writing, and he begins before time. He begins before creation. And he says, this is who you are in Christ. God chose you in him before the foundations of the world. He predestined you to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ. The love of the Father is not dependent upon us being lovable. The love of the Father was extended to us because he is love. And it is not according to how we perform for God, but the Bible says it is according to the good pleasure of his will. Somebody asked me last week, well, why would God love us? And I said, God loved us because it was the good pleasure of his will to love you. And so we come now, and Paul, in the second chapter, begins to tell the believers. He writes to this church in Ephesus, but he writes for us. This letter wasn't written to us, but the letter was written for us. And so for all who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we need to understand this, that when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive. When we were dead, when we were hostile enemies to God, God saved us, made us alive. And and here in the second chapter says he lifted us up, he raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. God has done that. And then he goes on and he says that we were raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places that in the ages to come we, that, that God might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Some Bibles translate it faithfulness, but it's the exact same word. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith is a product of what the Spirit does in us. And God has done that according to his great love with which he loved us. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand. Now we come to verse 11. Therefore, remember when you read the Bible and you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Therefore. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Well, when the Bible tells us to remember, I think it's important that we remember. So Paul is telling these believers, these Gentile believers... This is who you are. This is what God has done. This is how God has saved you. It's not dependent upon what's happening in your life right now. The persecution coming upon you doesn't define God's love, but God's love transcends that. You are who you are because of God, because of his love and by his grace. And so he tells them, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh... Now, what does that mean? It means that we need to constantly remember what God has done in our life by his grace. 
that you need to remember who you once were and you need to remember who you now are in Christ. And to these believers, he said, you once were Gentiles in the flesh. Guess what? Practically speaking, they were still Gentiles in the flesh. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that God doesn't define us and God doesn't know us and God doesn't identify us by ethnic group or by skin color or by social class, but God has identified us and God knows us only in one place. Now what was happening was the the Jewish Religious leaders were coming to these Gentile churches and they were saying to them, unless you convert to Judaism, unless you keep the law, you can't truly be saved. You can't truly worship the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You have to first do this in order to have this. Paul says, no, that's not true. You are saved by grace through faith. God did it before the material universe was created. He chose you and him before then. It has nothing to do whether you were born a Jew or whether you were born a Greek or whether you were born a slave or whether you were born free, whether you're Irish or German or Hispanic or Polish. It has nothing to do with that. I'm half Bohemian. And as much as I love Bohemians, being a Bohemian is not going to get me to heaven. Being half Bohemian is not going to get me halfway to heaven. You have to be a Bohemian to know what a Bohemian is, right? Some people just say we're Czechs. I was never told that I was Czech. I was told I was Bohemian. And I had a Czech man tell me one time, I said, are you Bohemian? He said, oh, I'm not Bohemian. I'm Czech. Because here's the reality. To be Bohemian, it's a little bit lesser. It was, it wasn't quite as, highest status that's the way the Jews looked at these Gentiles you're Gentiles you're not Jews you're second class citizens you're not God's chosen people in order to have any hope you're going to have to become something different Paul says no that's not how it works that's not how you're identified once Gentiles in the flesh, indicating that they are now in the spirit, the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Turn, hold your place there in Ephesians. Turn over a couple of pages and go to Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, go turn back a couple of pages to Galatians chapter 3. Now we're going to let the Bible define the terms, right? We're going to let the Bible define how we understand the truth. We can't let our feelings we can't let our traditions we can't let what grandma or grandpa or somebody else says should be the truth we go to the scripture and we let the scripture define the truth there were people coming to these believers saying you have to do something different in order to be something different you have any hope of salvation you can't just trust in jesus you got to keep the law you got to jump through these hoops, you got to dot these I's and cross these T's, and you got to do it perfectly. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, look at this. You should mark this in your Bible if it's not already marked. Paul writes in verse 28, 
There is, well, let's begin in verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's from his letter to the Galatians, which was also a Gentile church. Now, do you begin to understand why when Paul went back to Jerusalem, the Jews tried to kill Paul? Because Paul was writing these things and he says to these Gentiles, you are heirs of Abraham. You are heirs according to the promise if you are in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with what your blood or your DNA or your genetics or your ethnicity is. You have been born again unto incorruptible seed. This is what Peter writes in his letter. So Paul says, you were once Gentiles in the flesh, implying that now you are the seed of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ and heirs according to the promise, just as much heirs as the Jews were heirs, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Now this is, this is language that might be unfamiliar to us today, but basically you can take that word uncircumcision and think Gentile, and you can take that word circumcision and think Jew or child of God, God's people, the Jews. That was the covenant with Abraham. God told Abraham, circumcise yourself and then every male born to you, circumcise him as a sign of the covenant. And they did not become the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, but they became the true circumcision of the heart in the spirit. Romans 2.29. This is what Paul writes in Romans 2.29. Let me read it to you. Romans 2.29. Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Paul is writing to these Gentiles and say, you have become the true circumcision because you have received a circumcision of the heart in the spirit, a circumcision made without hands by the circumcision that we have in Christ. Let me read another scripture to you from Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, the thought continues, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith. This is why we believe baptism, and I know that everybody believes this, not everybody agrees with this, but, but I believe and we make room for this we believe that the sign of the covenant now is not circumcision as it was under the old covenant, but the sign of being God's covenant people now is the sign of baptism. And this is why Paul wrote to the Gentile churches, this is don't, 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 you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to circumcise your children, but everybody was commanded to be baptized. So God didn't do away with the, the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant became that which now 
applies to all. So there's not Jew or Greek. There's not male or female. Under the old covenant, only males receive the sign of, of the covenant. They only, only males receive the sign of circumcision. In the new covenant, who receives the sign? Everybody receives the sign. Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. And so the covenant has been made available to all people. And this is what Paul is writing here. He's saying this is not about Jew or Gentile. This is about one man, one faith. And God has done this. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. At what time? At that time that you were Gentiles in the flesh. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, this was your condition when you were Gentiles in the flesh before you received the circumcision of the heart through faith in Jesus Christ. Before God did his work of grace in you, you were in this world, aliens, strangers to God. You were without hope. You were without God. That at the time you were without Christ, we are without Christ in the flesh. Now, when the Bible talks about being in the flesh, you need to understand that it's not talking about or referring to us living in our bodies. We obviously live in our bodies, right? And your body is flesh and blood. So when Paul says that you are Gentiles in the flesh, and at that time you were without Christ, he's not saying now you're not living in a body. The flesh doesn't refer to our bodies in that sense the the flesh refers to our carnal nature so paul writes in this letter he talked about us being by nature children of wrath in our first birth we are born under the curse of sin and death there's a law that works in our members paul writes in romans 7 it's the law of sin and death when does that law go to work in my members the moment i'm born That's why we read in our catechism today, in 1 Corinthians 15, all born in Adam die. Why? Because we're all born according to the flesh. We're all born according to that nature of sin and death. We are all by nature children of wrath in our first birth. This is exactly why Jesus said, you must be born again in order to even see the kingdom of God. So, what Paul is teaching here is not behavior modification. So what we, what we like to do in the church oftentimes is, is try to get people to modify their behavior. And we convince people. And it doesn't take much convincing because this is our default sinful way of thinking. That if I can just manage my sin better, I'll become more acceptable to God. But the only problem with that is that's not, that's not scriptural. I don't become acceptable to God because I'm able to manage my sin better. Because the problem is not my behavior management. The problem is my nature. My dog is still a dog no matter how many people tricks I teach him, right? I can't teach him tricks to get him to become human. I can teach him tricks to act like a human. Sit, stand, shake my hand, roll over. People have even taught their pets how to use the toilet and flush it like a human. But guess what? They're still pets. They're still animals. 
I can manage my sinfulness, modify my behavior, but guess what? At my core, in my nature, I am still sinful, unacceptable to God. I'm not saved by my good works. I'm saved by the good work of Christ on the cross and putting my trust in that. And so in the flesh doesn't mean in this body. It means this old man, this old nature of the flesh that must be crucified with Christ, that must be put off by a new birth in the spirit in Christ. And we're not known by God according to the flesh, but we're known by God according to the spirit in a new creation. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Though we, we know no man any longer according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when the Gentiles were in the flesh, they were alienated from God. They were strangers. They were without hope and without God in this world. And that's exactly our condition when we are without Christ. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. But now, here's the good news, that is the gospel. You once were, but now... Now, how did I go from the you once were to the but now? By the grace of God. That's how I went from the you once were to the but now. But now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, we are not in Christ. I'm sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, if we, if we are not in Christ... There is no but now for us. You understand what I'm saying? If we're not in Christ, I, I don't have a but now. I'm still in the flesh. But when I am in Christ, when I am born again by the Spirit of God, I once was darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. Ephesians 5.8. When I was without Christ, I was in the world alienated from God, a stranger to God, without God and without hope. But now in Christ, but now in Christ, I have hope. You who once were far off have been brought near. When we are not in Christ, we are far off but when we are in Christ we are brought near this is what Jesus said to his disciples just hours before he was arrested recorded for us in in John the 14th chapter when Jesus says you know don't be fearful I'm going to go away I'm going to come back to you I'm going to go prepare a place and come back and you know where I'm going and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You were once far off, but in Christ we have been brought near to God. How did we get there? Paul says, by the blood of Jesus. 
You once were far off, but you have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus. There is no hope for any except for the blood of Jesus. The cross of Christ and the blood of Christ are the only boast that we have. By the blood of Jesus, we are brought near. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Here is the heart of the gospel. Jesus himself is our peace. And only through Jesus Christ could there be peace with God. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Verse 1, when he writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not only bring peace, he himself is our peace. And if he has become our peace with God, then he must be our peace with one another. We're studying the book of Romans on Wednesday night, and this letter Paul writes to the church in Rome is written to a church that was Jewish then the Jewish Jews were kicked out and it became exclusively Gentile. And now the Jews have come back and you've got Jews and Gentiles mixing again, mixing again. And Paul is writing this letter, encouraging them that we're all saved by faith, through, uh, uh, by, justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about Jew or Gentile. It's the same theme that we see Paul writing about here in the Ephesian church. And so Jesus has become our peace with God. And if Jesus is our peace with God, then he's got to be our peace with one another. We can't discriminate against our Gentile brothers or against our Jewish brothers or against our black brothers or against our brown brothers or against our white brothers because we are one in Christ. See, racial reconciliation is not something new to 21st century America. Racial reconciliation and ethnic difficulties have been happening since the beginning of the human race. Murder didn't just start. It started in the beginning. The first recorded murder was when Cain killed his brother Abel. This is a product of sin. This has nothing to do with race. Sin is colorblind. And so should love be. And this is exactly what Paul is writing here. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one. That both refers to Jew and Gentile. Have both been made one in Christ. There is no difference. This is Paul writes this Romans 11 chapter 10 verse 12. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. God sees no difference. God makes no distinction. There is no difference. Now in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. We read that. And Christ is all and in all. That's recorded for us. Let me read that scripture to you from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Look what Paul writes here. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. Look at this. But Christ is all and in all. This Christ who has broken down the 
middle wall of separation. In Christ, there is no dividing wall. It's been broken down. In Christ, the Father no longer distinguishes between Jew or Gentile. Now in Christ, the two have become one. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Do you realize that all those laws and all those ordinances that were given to Moses and the people of Israel were given not to make them righteous. The law was never given to make us righteous because we cannot become righteous through the law because we are incapable of keeping the law. So don't ever think that the law was given for a way for us to become righteous. The law was given by God on purpose to discourage us. <laughs> God knew we we would never be able to keep the law. He set an impossible standard of holiness in the law. And the Bible is clear. Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans that, that the law brought us to condemnation. The law brought us to death. The law manifested in us the need of a Savior. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, The law was my schoolmaster that brought me to Christ. The law could never make me righteous. The law could only bring me to the righteous one. And now I must trust not in my ability to become righteous through the law because that's impossible. I must now trust in the righteous one who has perfectly kept and fulfilled the law in my stead. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandment. So all those ordinances, dress like this, eat like this, be circumcised, those were so that the people of God would look different and be different in every way. Now, walking down the street, any one of us, just by looking at us, I mean, this isn't like, you know, special clothing. Got this shirt on clearance at Kohl's probably about seven years ago. Paid about four bucks for it. Yes. Love that. But, you know, it's not special. Doesn't make me holy. Looks like anybody else could wear this shirt and they might be a murderer. They might be an adulterer. Where, where is the difference? The difference is not in the clothes we wear anymore. The difference is not in the food we eat anymore. The difference is in our heart. God's given us a new heart by grace. And now out of a new heart, what changes? Well, everything should change. Maybe even the way we dress. Maybe you once dressed provocatively, but now you don't anymore because you realize. Maybe you once talked really nasty and dirty, but now you don't do that anymore. because Why? Because God's changed your heart. Not because you're trying to climb a ladder of righteousness, but because God has done something inside of you. He's changed you. He's circumcised your heart by the Spirit of God. He made you different. And that difference that worked on the inside is working outward to manifest His glory. So Jesus came and in His flesh He abolished the enmity. Only in his body of flesh, by his death, are we presented holy and blameless above reproach before him if we continue in the faith. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. 
only in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus had to die for us because he had to put away sin in the flesh that the law of commandments contained in ordinances by Jesus fulfilling the law in his flesh and offering his sinless body by his death are we presented holy and blameless before the Father. And Jesus did this. He abolished in his flesh the enmity He took away the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two making peace. So Paul says to the Jews, hey, if you guys want to keep living under the law, it's your prerogative. But to the Gentiles, he said, know this. You'll never be justified by the law. If those ethnic Jews want to keep living that way, that's their, that's their liberty. But even them, they will never be justified by the deeds of the law. But you Gentiles, you're not to come under that bondage. So the Jerusalem church writes a letter recorded for us in Acts chapter 15 to the Gentile churches and says you don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be circumcised. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from food sacrifice to idols. It's, it's kind of like our Constitution. It's a pretty wide open document. What are we to understand from that? Basically, if you have become light, walk as children of light. If you have received the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do I need a long list of detailed things of do's and don'ts? No. Paul says, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. The Spirit of God will testify, will lead you, guide you. He'll show you what's true. If you're doing something contrary to Christ, the Spirit of God will will convict you of that. He'll point you in the right direction. This is the point of the 23rd Psalm. We always read the 23rd Psalm at funerals, but the 23rd Psalm is about life. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. He doesn't do that when I die. He's doing that right now. If I leave here and I go and I do something contrary to Christ in me, guess what? The Spirit of God in me, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, who lives in me by the Spirit, He is going to lead me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake, for the glory of His name. That's what the Spirit of God is doing on the inside of us. And we're not following that way to become righteous. We are Walking in that way because God has made us righteous in Jesus Christ. My righteousness is not what I'm becoming. My righteousness is what I already possess in Jesus. And if his life and righteousness is in me, then it should be manifest through me. And that was made possible because Jesus came and he abolished in his flesh that enmity. He took away, he fulfilled the law of commandments. He created in himself now one new man. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. God the Father looks at you and he knows you in Jesus. You are members of his body, of his bone, and of his flesh. And the identity of that body is known in the head and in the face of glory who is Jesus Christ.
you have been joined to that body by the grace of God. You have been given the life of that body by the grace of God. Now the Father knows you in that body of Jesus Christ. And you have become acceptable because of what Christ has done. Amen.